Welcome to High Energy Health, where together we explore the leading edge of wellness and happiness. I'm your host, Dawson Church. By choosing this time together, you're declaring your commitment to a positive mindset, elevated emotions, and a great life. Thanks for joining me for today's episode. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the High Energy Health Podcast. I am Miriam Paninsky, the Consciousness Program Director at EFT Universe, and I have the pleasure of guest hosting this podcast for Dr. Dawson Church today, and I am thrilled to be in conversation today with the fabulous Rebecca Wildbear. Rebecca, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thanks for inviting me. I'm excited to dive in. (laughs) For those of you who don't know Rebecca yet, I'm just going to introduce her briefly, and we'll be talking much more about her excellent book, her story, and her practice. Rebecca Wildbear is the author of Wild Yoga, a practice of initiation, veneration, and advocacy for the earth. She's also the creator of yoga practice called Wild Yoga, which empowers individuals to tune into the mysteries that live within the earth communities dreams and their own wild nature so they may live a life of creative service. She has been leading wild yoga programs since 2007 and is also guides nature and soul programs through Animas Valley Institute. And I'm again, like I'm so excited about this book because I think this is such an important amalgamation and connection of and and is linking things that are not so often linked, I think, or not often enough. And, and I'm really excited about this. Rebecca, what I'd like to start with before diving into the book, or actually, this is kind of part of the book, you are very openly kind of like sharing about your story and some epiphanies that you've had or some like kind of like moments that would probably be called moments of trauma, but kind of became these moments of initiations or openings or connection. And this was such and it seems like this was such an important process that led you to the practice that you are offering here with this book. Would you mind sharing a little bit about this story and about yourself and what led to this book and what that initiation was like? Great. Well, yeah. And and there's so many stories and pieces Uh that are woven throughout the book. You know, I think the one that I open with in the introduction is my journey with cancer at 21 in my senior year of college. And I was a philosophy, religious studies major is one of my majors. And so I was raised Catholic, but asking a lot of questions about God or goddess and, you know, what the higher power was and what's my purpose here. And if there is even a higher power. And I felt in some ways like the cancer was an, an experiential offering to the response to what I had asked. So there was that experience, which kind of took me out of the conversation I had been in and being an achiever in school, like editor of the newspaper and RA and took me into a different place. And there's also the piece where I had always been in love with the natural world and had always felt a sort of higher power in the natural world and worked at summer camp and just came into feeling that as the wild places are the place where I feel most alive, where I do feel the presence of the holy. The cancer journey took me to feel something inside myself that is holy too, 
that is also very mysterious. My trainings with Animus Valley Institute helped me explore that more, like the soul realm and dreams and conversations with the natural world. It, I was a wilderness therapist, and that helped to deepen my conversation with the natural world, that nature isn't just a heal, our healer and a, a backdrop for adventure, but it's also uh, a being to relate with that we can be in conversation with. So there's been a lot of pieces along the way to guide me. When I did the work with Animus, I kind of reclaimed my wild self, which had me do a yoga training in Costa Rica and studying mm-hmm. yoga. Costa Rica was a way that I could, I was actually doing the yoga outside. And since I was in conversation with nature and living in Costa Rica, working at an eco lodge too, and all the yoga was taught outside, I could notice how the natural world responded to the practice of our, our asana practice. There's so many pieces involved in the story of, you know, how did come to be, you know, ultimately wild yoga is different from normal yoga. And, and the book is about more than just yoga. It's about also you know, our larger conversation with the world, who we really mm-hmm. are. Yoga originally had that meaning. It was about a journey to know who we mm-hmm. really are, what our relationship is with everything. And the asana or the movement practice is part of that. It's a branch in the tree, but the conversation itself is, is so much bigger. But there's been a lot of dark nights of the soul and difficulties and ordeals and vulnerabilities that part of me coming to know what I would call my mythopoetic identity or my purpose, as well as uh-huh. bringing the wild yoga into the world. Your mythopoetic identity? Yeah, that's a term that mm -hmm. I got with um, Animus Valley Institute, another term Mm -hmm. for soul. That soul isn't necessarily... I love that. Mm -hmm. It's it's a line of poetry or image that we're... Yeah, and it's it's poetry coming from literature and philosophy myself, as poetry is never just linear. It's kind of more mandala-like, maybe. And I love that you create an image with that, with calling this mythopoetic. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. I want to pick up something that you just mentioned. I want to go to different places too, but you just kind of sparked this question because you said what you are offering here and what is proposed here is is different from the quote unquote normal yoga practice or maybe what is kind of like conceived as like the or perceived as the as the mainstream yoga practice. You want to say a little bit more about that difference and about what you said about the asana practice kind of being part of that, but not kind of like being representative of the whole spectrum of how you perceive yoga. Yeah, you know, asana practice is uh, part of things. And originally, hundreds of years ago, when yogis were trying these poses out, the purpose was to come into their wild nature in relationship to the wild world. You didn't have Mm -hmm. to mention the wild world too much because hundreds of years ago, the whole world was still wild. There wasn't much separation or civilization. And uh, now I call it wild yoga because I want to intentionally bring us back to our connection, not just with the world around us in the cities, but the world around us, the natural world, actually calling that deeper relationship with the wildness from which we originate our wild nature and the and the wild nature outside of us and in our dreams mm-hmm. yeah wild yoga is meant to bring us into connection with the inner wildness in our own mm-hmm. wild nature including our dreams and our soul it's meant to bring mm-hmm. us in conversation with the outer wild world it's meant to deepen our capacity for loving ourselves and loving the world and also just to stretch our consciousness to understanding mm-hmm the way the wild ones and the see things and the way the dream world, the muse and soul see things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, beautiful. 
I love that. So poetic how you phrased this all such beautiful depth here. And I, I want to expand a little bit more on that connection between the inner and the outer wildness and how these things connect. But before that, I'd like to ask, who is this book? Who is this book written for? Well, I intentionally tried to write it so that as many people as possible could grasp it. I met, I wrote it for the person who's never done yoga and who has maybe never even done personal growth work too much mm -hmm. so that it could be an everyday simple language about my journey. But there mm -hmm. are also a lot of complex ideas, although it's written simply in the in stories. I've had people read it and, you know, who haven't been involved in soul work or personal mm -hmm. work or yoga. And, you know, some people read it twice to like, I'm yeah. really sink into, there's so many uh, complexity of new ideas mm -hmm. and stories and possibilities that haven't been heard before to try mm -hmm. and really digest that experience. But I'm trying to open up and invite people that have never had those experiences to be able to, to see what they're like, as well as I've had a lot of people on the journey who do do, who have been to a lot of programs and do do personal work. And they seem to love reading it too, just, you know, for having um, a women's version of the soul's story, uh, for having, you know, seeing a lot of personal story examples and a lot of the ideas that are, you know, shifted in some new ways that haven't been said. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's absolutely true. And I think that's really the beauty of that book you did, that it's so... It's beautifully inclusive, really, in that sense that I think there is that quality of offering something wherever you are on your journey, and that there is a depth and complexity that is kind of like there for people who've maybe been on, on this particular yoga journey, whatever that looks like in their practice for a while, but also kind of like the, the quote unquote newbie, whatever that means. But um, I think you really kind of like meet everyone exactly where they're at. And that's, that's a real quality, I will say. So to go where what you've kind of like mentioned that the connection between the inner and the outer wildness or else, how is our, our own journey of healing, of health, of trauma release related to the health of this planet? Well, you know, it seems like kind of basic, but we are connected. You know, I think sometimes we notice it when things like when the land's polluted and has chemicals or air toxins and we live in it, mm -hmm. our bodies can become polluted and, and toxic. We eat toxic foods where the earth's been poisoned, then we're, you know, then we're ingesting those same toxins. So sometimes on those pragmatic levels, we can see that there's a connection. Mm -hmm. But I would say the connection goes even further than that, um, that there's something about just in any relationship, if there's one being causing harm to another, one being in the family sick, you know, we're all affected. And I think that, you know, that the earth, it, the wellness of the earth is connected to our own health in ways that we can't even perceive fully. And mm -hmm. earth about how some of the feelings that arise in us, grief or rage could mm -hmm. be messages from the earth herself. There's something about, you know, wellness platforms to me that just focus on only our own wellness and leave out the planet. To me, leave out a big piece of what wellness is. I think there's been a lot said about how coming back to the earth, you know, earthing ourselves, putting our bodies on the earth is healing for us. And also putting our energy into healing the earth, mm -hmm. into making it a healthy place for ourselves now, as well as future generations is also something that feeds our health now. Sometimes we can't tell that we're 
unhealthy because we've just always lived in a certain way, especially depending when you were born. And, uh, but I can feel the difference when I'm in truly wild, intact places, I feel different. Mm -hmm. My body and molecules are mixing with those places. And I'm a different person than say, if I'm in a place where there's a a city or poisons or toxins or a lot of things Mm -hmm. happening uh, in a car, you know, so part of it Mm -hmm. is just acknowledging that it, it doesn't make any sense to think about our health as separate from the earth. And mm-hmm. so if we think about it in as related, then how do we go forward to envision our health and wellness and uh, making the planet's health and wellness part of that vision? Mm-hmm. So it sounds like a lot of it is about attention, intention, listening, perceiving, acknowledging, noticing. All of these practices are maybe more passive practices. What are the actions that you propose in this book? Right. Well, I, I would just say too, I would agree with you on that. There, I would call them rather than passive, I might call them receptive practices. Yes. It, you know, like I one person said, I said if you could define wild yoga in one word, it would be listen, which is something, you know, we're not used to doing yes. in our ready Mm -hmm. to take action. And these are just a whole number of ways to listen, which I consider really very feminine, archetypally feminine based practices. Mm -hmm. Um, And archetypally masculine practices could be the action. So this book is a lot. How do we marry our (laughs) visions to our actions so that our Mm -hmm. actions are coming from this, these relationships, these visions. But as far as actions, I I think, you know, there's a lot we don't know. We don't really know what the future Mm -hmm. is. You know, we, there's a thing, there's so many things we don't know, but there are things that we do know, like we know that the way, the way of life of our dominant culture right now is killing the earth rapidly, lands and species more and more every day, and that there is a finite amount of land and species and we can't continue and we're getting more to the end, closer and closer to the end, end of the road, you know, where ecosystems can be close to crashing, the biosphere can be close to crashing. And, and so we have to look at what we're doing and action wise, we have a lot of the environmental plans and policies that um, even green movements, so-called green movements are not actually addressing that. Um, A lot lot of times they address ways for humans to keep living the same way that they're living, to buy more products, to mine more stuff and different kinds of products that are supposedly green. But really it just equates with more of the same, which is more Mm -hmm. mining and making more stuff and buying more stuff. Mm -hmm. So we have to kind of turn that movement upside down on its head we have to say no that's not about the earth that's about continuing you know humans continuing living the way humans are living now Mm -hmm. just with different stuff so if we put the earth back at the center and we acknowledge this relationship where we listen and receive from what the earth has to tell us but we also Mm -hmm. act on behalf of the earth how do we re-envision a life that is Mm -hmm. in honor and so it you know to me it would be a lot simpler with a lot less stuff a whole lot less stuff and really starting to envision that I think one way or another, it will happen. You know, mm-hmm. this, this lifestyle is unsustainable according to right. the limits of the planet. But the difference is, you know, if we come back into balance now, then we have more ecosystems and species left for future generations, more food mm-hmm. sources, you know, and something, you know, there's always an argument, you know, people say we can't kill the earth, you know, but we seem to be doing a pretty good job of it. So I wouldn't say as a definite that we can't kill the earth because we are, you know, mm-hmm. species, species each place at a time. And we mm-hmm. don't know what the end result of that will be. But mm-hmm. one thing we do know is that we're out of balance now. And so mm-hmm. how can we 
call ourselves healthy? And how can we have full joy and aliveness while that's happening? Mm -hmm. So it's not about necessarily that we know, oh gosh, is this going to work? Is it not going to work? Is it already too late? All those questions. It's about how about we come back into balance now? Uh Now, how about we take some serious major steps to reorder the way we're living? Yes, incredibly profound. Also, what I hear from you is that these practices of what you call perceiving practices and action, so to say that the female and like as in kind of like yin yang in a sense are not separate. Kind mm-hmm. of like it's like from listening to you, these this seems to be kind of like this. This seems to be kind of one in a way. Yeah, there's a way that they can seamlessly work together when they're when we're married. Uh huh. With the individuals I guide, you know, people spend the entire journey going, listening, going on a visioning time, letting go of their ego, their thoughts about who they thought they were, what they thought they were here to do, and really listening so that they can then come back and take the vision that they received and bring that to their actions in the world. Mm -hmm. And when I look at wild yoga, and we look at it from a planetary or collective perspective, what if we could do that as a people on the planet collectively, Mm -hmm. that the systems of power that rule Mm -hmm. society, I don't know that they're voluntarily going to put their way of life on the table, at least it doesn't look like it. No. Is there a way collectively the people can force that, you know, to Mm -hmm. happen and make it happen? We say, I think a lot of people are aware So what would it take for people to collectively force this way of life that is now existent to be offered? We could listen and let our drive a new way. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. We'll go on our first short break. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes with this great conversation with Rebecca Wildbear. Thank you so much. Welcome back to today's episode of High Energy Health. Today, I'm in conversation with Rebecca Wildbear. And Rebecca, we were just expanding on kind of like this, the marriage of perceiving and action within the wild yoga practice that you propose. And do you feel that this practice and this book, because honestly, like, obviously, some people will perceive like the yoga and activism or kind of trauma work, somatic trauma work and activism is kind of like, or ecological initiatives is kind of like separate things. But there again, but I think there seems to be a boundary expansion in in all of the fields that you're proposing. Is that right? Does that resonate with you? When you say, what do you mean when you say boundary expansion, you mean of perception? yeah, no, and, and this, yes, that too, <laughs> that too. But in terms of like a field, I feel like you both, you see more than the norm within all of those practices, within yoga, within an ecological practice, that there seems to be an expansion that kind of, that again, like marries or connects the, all these like practices that may have been perceived as separate. Yeah, that's true. There's a, I'm kind of bringing them together that they can't really be separate in a way, you know, that yeah. in ecological movement, we need to be spiritual too, and listening to our bodies and have health and uh, wellness and a yoga practice or one that cares about the world, you know, has to include ecological perception. So yeah, there's a, there's a real coming together of that, those practices. And part of it is practices in my book that expand, that expand or stretch our own consciousness of perception. How do we, you know, listen and hear the earth? How do we listen and hear our dreams? How do we listen and hear our body? 
the muse, you know, the sacred. So it's calling us to be able to engage with these higher powers and states of perceptions. And then in doing so, that's when the connections come together. You mentioned already the word muse. And what I love about this book is that it introduces all these kind of phrases and words that really feel in their poetic quality really opening, such as the muse-directed life, which, you know, I think you don't need to say much to kind of like feel a resonance just with that kind of like with that phrase. But I'd love for you to expand a little bit more on a few of those. And just let's start with the muse directed life and what that means or what that is. Well, there and there's a lot of steps involved. So it can be seem challenging or even out of reach. But again, that's a later chapter in the book, chapter 14. Yes. <laughs> up to it. But one is kind of being in contact with our muse to direct us and what to do. The muse to me is is like the wellspring of our creativity and the mm -hmm. one who can also see us in our bigger possibility more than we can. Mm -hmm. We sometimes might feel it in states of falling in love with an mm -hmm. outer human. You know, sometimes in love, we see the possibilities and potentialities in the other that maybe they don't see or they see that in us. And when we fall in love with an outer, there often has to do sometimes with projection or parts of ourselves that want to come alive or be lived in fully. I often say courting the muse is not about getting who you want. It's about becoming what you love. Kind of a big concept. Mm -hmm. What if you could, when you fall in love, utilize the, the energy of that as an opportunity, whatever the outcome of any, whatever happens or doesn't happen. It's not really about what happens with the outer human. It's about, I saw something in this other person, whether it was truly there or not, I saw it. And mm -hmm. the reason that I saw it and it excited me, it made me fall in love is because it exists in me and wants to, to come mm -hmm. alive in me. So how do mm -hmm. I bring that alive? And you know, mm -hmm. that's one way. There's so many doorways to how can I have a relationship with the muse. Mm -hmm. The muse can also show up in our dreams as terrifying and dangerous and alluring <laughs> figures. It doesn't have to be human. It could be animal or, or nature, um, but it often has a quality of the beloved often is connected to the muse and has a quality of allurement and danger. But the muse, uh, when we're in love with it, I often think of that romance. The creativity is our brain. It's the offspring mm -hmm. of the romance. And one of the ways I court the muse after the initial romance is when I create things that the muse loves, the muse is happy with me. Like that's the courtship. And I can feel what the muse wants me to bring into the world. It might be very different from what my everyday ego thinks about. Or yeah. is and a muse directed life is, you know, there's so many forces in the world that want to direct us, whether it's the dominant culture telling us how we should spend our days or jobs we should have or money we should make or things we should buy, or whether it's families, parents, partners, workplaces. There's many structures of society and relationships that can want to direct our entire lives. But what would it be to live a muse-directed life, to be directed by this inner love, beloved relationship of our yeah. outer love for the world? Yeah, what what you say really resonates with with the accounts of the of the mystics, kind of like the courting of the beloved, which is kind of also this practice of devotion, which I think we have very much lost, especially in the West. I feel it's kind of like a devotional practice, also of kind of surrendering the ego, which then again like allows us to perceive and to listen. I, I it very much kind of like rings with the mystical readings. I don't know if that feels true to you, but I, I just, that was just I my association right now. 
Yeah, I think there is a truth to that in terms of states of listening that mystics are in. It's, you know, a lot of these practices are about having a direct, unmediated relationship with the holy. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what mysticism is, you know, a culture often directs us into religion, which is um, a mediated relationship. We, ju- we join yeah. a thought form and group, and sometimes there's a priest or, or teacher which helps us get there. But yeah. this is practices to go out and have your own connection to be a mystic really we can all be mystics. yes yes and then the muse part is you know that there can be a creativity that comes from that mystical relationship i mm-hmm. think not not all mystical relationships that i've read about focus on the creative offering that's true but this is one of the juiciest parts to me yes i want to talk about that juicy part in a little bit we'll just have to go on a little break and we'll be right back with this conversation in just a couple of minutes thank you so much Welcome back to today's episode of High Energy Health. And today we are in conversation with the fantastic Rebecca Wildbear. And Rebecca, you were just talking about the mystics and the unmediated relationship to the wild, to the muse, to spirit, whatever, to the beloved, whatever that resonates most. And you were calling this as being a potentially creative and juicy relationship. And I think that's also like a, a really beautiful aspect of this book that this, that yes, while kind of like meditation meditation and silence and contemplation is an important piece of this but there's also within that also that quality of the romantic the passionate even the ferocious you say can you talk a little bit more about that and and also maybe talk a little bit about what you call the feral female ferocity if you wouldn't mind sure yeah great I'd love to talk about that yeah I love how you're bringing the point that contemplation and action you know that's often been thought of the mystic journey the listening part and the action can be muse directed I like to think of it too as the sacred masculine, archetypal sacred masculine and feminine, you know, the the listening and the holy actions that derive from the listening, the muse-directed mm-hmm. creativity or work on behalf of the world or the earth. The feral female ferocity I talk about early in the book in chapter four, that's coming back into our wildness. I, I love including that because ferocity, particularly for women, is often shut down or thought of yes. as a no, not supposed to happen. I had many clients that had dreams or that, about angry creatures or beings and or experience, were experiencing anger in their own body and wanted to just be like, oh, I just, I think there's something wrong here. I need to like switch the program. Yes. To- And I'm actually like, no, actually, maybe not. There's something healthy about this angry. It doesn't. Such an important point. I'm I'm so glad that you're saying this. Sorry to interrupt you, but I'm just going to say it's so important. Yes. There's a great book. uh, I like Sarira Camille's book uh, called Rage Becomes Her too, because she really, I quote her in the book, but she talks about how maybe what women need in these times isn't anger management. It's strategic use of anger. Mm-hmm. In other words, you know, and I change that to mean, you know, what if the message messages of our anger are coming just like our dream images, just like our conversations in nature, just like our body communicating with us, mm-hmm. there are communication from beyond about something that wants to get expressed or felt through us. Personally, I find anger very uncomfortable to feel, you know, it's like, yes, it just comes in your body and it makes sense that I or anybody would want it to go away. I almost uh, connected a lot with the image of fire. Like sometimes I will say when I'm feeling angry, I'm being consumed 
by the fire. Although it's not necessarily always healthy to just run out and, you know, act on whatever wants to come out of our mouths the minute that we're feeling angry. But letting ourselves burn in in that fire of our anger, which is usually related to injustice for Mm ourselves in the world, can help us and can help the world come back into balance. One mm-hmm. thing I bring up in the chapter Feral Female Ferocity is that a lot of it is about protection and boundaries. You know, the natural world has feral female ferocity. Mm-hmm. It protects itself. Even tiny scorpions or little snakes will bite something if it if you come into its space and threaten mm-hmm. its life. In um, our mainstream culture, if you're less than in the hierarchy, which includes women and people of color or people of low economic status, you know, the list goes on. If you are lower in status, if your boundaries have been violated in some way, your money has been stolen, you've been bodily harmed or raped, you know, you're not really supposed to say anything. You're not mm-hmm. supposed to fight back. And if you do, it's likely that you'll be the one in trouble. That's mm-hmm. kind of what I mean by our culture doesn't run by feral female ferocity. It runs by patriarchy or hierarchy. And feral female ferocity in in people of all sexes and gender, men and women or any any gender, um, that can actually bring us back into balance. That that's our yeah, uh, that's our fight speaking up and saying no. This is yeah, not- and also like right exactly what you say, like right and wrong, and kind of like a clarity, kind of like it's bringing a clarity. It it is, and and you know, I I think the earth also as well as our own personal lives, the earth needs us to feel this because. You know, if we love the earth and the earth is part of our family and part of who we care about, then when we see harm coming to the earth, our natural response will be ferocity. Like, no, don't harm my beloved. And that fight is part of, you can imagine if everyone was feeling that, 80% of people could feel that our world could be completely different. Yeah. So related to 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 the EFT and the trauma work and the ancestral trauma work that I do with the with my clients, in a sense of connecting with your inner child, especially when trauma has happened to you and feeling that anger for that inner child. And in the same way that if your child would be harmed in that way, you would get angry. And it's the same kind of ferocity that I think you talk about is also needed in the same way for our beloved planet. Absolutely. And, you know, a lot of times in our culture, it's looked at as I protect myself or you know, if that, or I protect my child or I protect, you know, my partner, but what if it, you know, but our protection instinct isn't meant to extend to the earth. And yeah, it, it used to naturally in hundreds of yeah. years ago when humans were connected to particular land bases. One of the ways society has, you know, taken us down is by taking us off land and putting us into places mm-hmm. and land that we can't, that, you know, people are less connected to, mm-hmm. but it's natural to be connected to land and mm. it's natural to defend land as part of our home mm-hmm. yeah and it's and and it really feels like this the practice that you which is really like more than a practice like an an initiation also of like reconnecting to to the depth of that love that is kind of like that can be like again like with the beloved in the same kind of like passion that we have for a human being that we passionately love and care about and it's really like again like there's such a complex interplay and i hope we can kind of like demonstrate that a little bit with this conversation because there's so much to explore in this book we are going on our last little break before we come right back with this conversation in just a couple of minutes thank you so much
Welcome back to today's episode of High Energy Health. Today, I'm in conversation with Rebecca Wildbear. And for this last segment, there's so many more things I wanted to talk about, but always time runs short, especially with these inspiring conversations. What really interested me, and that kind of like, I think goes more towards the, the not the end, but kind of like the later parts of the book, which kind of like leads to this. And it kind of like connect to these qualities that we just talked about and the ferocity and the the passion and, and the love. And you call this the being that we become the love warrior. Can you expand a little bit on that? And what is a love warrior? And how can we be a love warrior? I wanted to bring back this concept, love warrior. Warrior is sometimes thought about negatively in our culture too. It can be associated with, you know, violence or harm or going to war when one doesn't need to. And, you know, certainly there can be kinds of war that men get sent to, mostly men and men and women now get sent to, that's fighting somebody else's war, you know, that's not really good, you know, that's fighting, not really fighting for the right thing. Mm-hmm. A love warrior is coming from the, from the deep love and passion of the earth. It's coming from this place of listening, where what I call the sacred masculine, sacred feminine come together, where our listening and receiving the practice, mostly the practice of wild yoga are a lot of listening and receiving are connected to our actions in the world. Mm -hmm. and our desire to fight for what's right, to Mm -hmm. fight for what we love, to put ourselves on the line and Mm -hmm. to develop our skills. It used to be that warriors were revered, you know, that that was, it was an art that you studied so you would know. And it doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily mean fighting everything all the time. It takes discipline and courage mm-hmm. sometimes to sit still in the discomfort and the suffering and the anger and the love. And then to know when is the right time and how to strategically act mm-hmm. to fight whether it's how, whatever it is, whether it's fighting in a court of law or whether it's fighting with our words as a writer or whether it's, you know, speaking in a particular way in a conversation that we happen to be in with a mm-hmm. group of people or whether it's, you know, actually, you know, standing in the way of environmental destruction, you know, direct action, you know, whatever, and there's more, you know, whatever the action is, but that we can feel that it's inspired from mm-hmm. our love and from our sense of visioning and being connected with these other sources mm-hmm. of power are helping to move us. And the the love warrior part is having the courage to take the actions. You know, now that I've received the visions, at first it can be hard to slow down and stop, stop taking action and, and just listen, and let go of your agendas and let go of who you thought you were. But then once you do do that, it can be hard then to pick up and act again. And particularly to act in ways you may not have formally acted. They might not be how you would have defined yourself or what you would have as your personality thought you were going to go for. In fact, I find sometimes it's been true for me and I've witnessed this for other people that often we get nudged in directions that are diametrically opposed to where mm-hmm. we were chosen. You know, for example, myself, I'm kind of an introvert and might have liked to just sort of disappear like a fairy in the woods and never be yeah. uh, seen <laughs> in the world, just live with the earth, you know, and write my poetry there. But the muse has directed me to this different direction of, mm-hmm. you know, putting my stories out in the world and being on a podcast and engaging with the world. <laughs> it's exciting. It's exciting when you follow the muse and enlightening. Yeah. And yet it can also feel terrifying and dangerous. Yes. Well, we've got, we're glad the muse directed you here <laughs> into this podcast and conversation. Um, so before we close, there are a couple of practices you can make because they're kind of like maybe something to kind of give into, put into the hands of our listeners also. And there are two practices that you mentioned. It's kind of the praying in the dark and the radical dreaming. And both of these seem to be kind of something that feels 
applicable or kind of like something that again like can be used maybe or kind of like yeah kind of be of use for our listeners can you expand a little bit on those two practices before we end yeah you know praying in the dark is is a practice of active listening that i write towards the end of the book after we've developed some of the other practices but before we come into being a love warrior it's about actively you know descending into the into the earth's body you know the love of the earth and the pain of the earth mm -hmm. um, being in that dark unknowing place we don't know what's going to happen mm -hmm. and visioning with the earth opening up to our visionary self you know what dreams and visions does the earth want to give us for actions to take in behalf of the world and it also can be going into the grief the planetary grief in the dark you know with the earth with others and in that grief letting part of that be a portal too as well as the earth herself to receive waters almost like to receive visions almost like waters like elixirs mm -hmm. like waters come from the underground aquifers mm -hmm. or like being in the heart of the earth where all the fire's going on feeling our own fiery love and passion radical dreaming is i talk about dream work earlier in the book just dream work even for our mythos for our individual lives and radical dreaming is particularly dreaming asking for our dreams to help guide our actions on behalf of the earth and species behalf mm -hmm. of land bases and radical is partly re you know dreaming of a completely different world like radical means not mild changes not moderate but just you know massive and can we let ourselves be open to the kinds of visions that might come through for our world mm -hmm. through radical dreaming of a completely mm -hmm. different type of way for humans to live with the earth yeah I love those proposals in particular, and I think it is something that we can start with today. And I think it, it brings us out of this feeling of, because I think we talked shortly in the break that sometimes, you know, we feel overwhelmed and helpless kind of because there's so much damage that was done. And it sometimes feels like where, where to even begin. But I think to allow ourselves to get into this state of radical dreaming, it kind of It brings the the inspiration and the visions and the possibilities to start with it. That's what I feel, what I've experienced. So thank you so much for that. This was an amazing conversation. I would love to go on forever. There's so much more I would I would have loved to ask, but we're coming to an end here. I would encourage the listeners to please follow Rebecca by her book, Wild Yoga, a practice of initiation, veneration, and advocacy for the earth. By the way, also beautiful artwork on cover of the book and her website where you can also find your programs, Rebecca. Is there anything else you wanted to mention about any of the programs or offerings on your website? site or and when where you work in in Colorado yeah you know just uh you know you probably be able to see most of them on my website rebeccawildbear.com and you know there's online programs and there's in-person programs so you know either one can work for you mm. as a way to keep deepening into the practices in the book thank you so much Rebecca this was such a pleasure Thank you so much. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for our audience for tuning in today. And we're back with you next week. Have a wonderful rest of your week. Thank you. Thank you.